0: Hey, y'all. I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. And you might not know, but this is my last online sermon with all of you, which brings about a lot of mixed emotions for me personally. But for you, the emotions are probably less complicated. The fact that this is my last sermon at Salem is either going to make you thrilled or not so thrilled. But, you know, I've only known that I would be on the move for a couple of months now. And to be quite honest, it wasn't on the timetable or the schedule that I really had in mind for myself. But here's a little secret I'll let you in on. God-initiated change almost never takes place at a convenient time. Why? Because as people, we almost always think it's a bad time for change. And as we continue in our series, Seasons of Life, based on the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, today we're going to talk about trusting God's timing. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes will show us that God often gives his biggest blessings at bad times. If you've been part of the Salem community during my seven years here, you've probably gotten to know my wife. Her name is Brittany. And you've got to know her either directly or through me. If you're new to our faith family or if you are a part of our online community, you may not know her. So you'll just have to take my word for what I'm about to tell you. And I'm so blessed by her, I think she is amazing. There is no one on earth that I trust more than Brittany. One of the main reasons I know I can trust her is because about a decade ago, for some odd reason, she saw me and she was like, yep, that's him, he's the one. And to be real, if you have that kind of strange and specific taste, how can I not trust you forever? She knows me in a lot of ways better than I even know myself. She can tell me what I might need to make myself feel better, physically or mentally. She knows my likes and dislikes in a pretty scary way. There was a recent TikTok trend where it was like, think you know your boyfriend or your husband or a loved one? Then tell me which house or vacation or date or movie or whatever that they would pick out of all these pictures. And then they'd show you a bunch of options to choose from. I've shown her a bunch of those, you know, what man cave would I pick, what meals would I pick, what date night would I pick, vacations. She hasn't missed a one. And she's even given reasons why I would pick the one and why I would not pick the other options. She's also a great leader of young people and she's going to be the best mom very soon. I trust Brittany with everything, in every way, except time. I think that's one of those ways that we make each other better because I think Brittany is less late now than before we got married. But it could also just be that I've gotten more used to her tardiness through the years. And we've loved traveling together in a lot of places we have been. Brittany's view of time fits in better there than in her own household, especially in some places we've gone on mission because in a lot of other less Western influenced cultures, there isn't such a rigid sense of time. Like when we would travel to Costa Rica, if they say they will get to something manana, which English speakers may hear as tomorrow, what they actually mean is an unclassified time later. No defined time. Like if we have to leave for some place or a flight, she will take every possible minute before we have to leave. And sometimes she might take more than every possible minute. So we use more minutes than we actually have to get there on time. But nowadays, I'm able to interpret her explanation of time. Like if Brittany tells me she will do something tomorrow, she says it as if she's Costa Rican. What she really means is whenever I feel like it. If she says, wake me up at three so I have time to get ready, what she really means is wake me up at two so I'm actually awake and moving by three so I have time to get ready. I trust her with everything in my life except for time. I don't bring this up just so I'll be in trouble when I go home later. I bring it up because I think this is an attitude that is common among Christians, but not just with our spouses or kids or parents or friends or other loved ones. Just like I trust my wife with everything but time, usually my attitude is the same with God. I trust God with everything except time. I know God loves me. I know God gave his son Jesus and that Jesus showed us what perfect love looks like and died on the cross. And I know that the spirit of God lives in me and has transformed my heart and made me new. I know that God cares for me, that God protects me, and that God provides for me. But I really sure do wish God would provide for me with what I want and when I want it. I know God is going to move in my life but I sure wish God would start to hurry and move already because I need a new job, or I need money, or I need healing, or I need happiness. Now, I know God knows what's best for me, but I need to handle my life's timeline. You see, the test of faith is not if you believe in God, but if you trust in God's timing. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about God's timing, especially Ecclesiastes 3. It's been a focus of ours during this series because it talks about many different seasons we experience and how there is a time for nearly everything under the sun. But after talking about how there is a time for everything, King Solomon says this in verses 10 and 11. I've observed the task that God has given human beings. God has made everything fitting in its time, but has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. So, first, this text declares the sovereignty of God's timing and how God makes the timing of everything fit together. It reminds me of the famous passage from the New Testament book of Romans that says that God works all things together for good for those who love God. So, we know that God's timing is always good, but Solomon follows up this thought by saying that God has placed eternity on our hearts, on human hearts, He's placed eternity. This makes me think of the feeling in each of us that there is something more to life than just our existence. God reveals to us the feeling that there is a bigger picture to our lives than just the season we're in now. The events that we experience, good and bad, fit into a bigger picture of eternity. But what's the problem according to Solomon? He says that eternity is on our hearts, but we can't see that bigger picture. It says we aren't able to discover what God has done from beginning to end. And friends, that's just the difference between us and God. God is God and we aren't. We aren't able to see all the pieces of the puzzle, but God can. And not only can God see the future, but God is going to make it good. This is hope. So Christians shouldn't be downtrodden, people concerned about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But we can be joyful and hopeful because the unknown future rests in the hands of a known God. A God who wants to bring about a hope and a future for all of his children. But it's so easy to talk about how God's timing is always perfect and how God is always on time. But it's another thing to actually find your hope in God's perfect timing in your everyday life. Because in our short-sighted point of view that we already mentioned, is God's timing always perfect? Does it feel perfect? Do you think Lazarus' family found that God's timing was perfect? In the Gospel of John, a guy named Lazarus is about to die. And so his loved ones consult Jesus, and Jesus basically lets them know he will get to Lazarus, or as my wife would say, get to him tomorrow. But by the time Jesus makes his way to Lazarus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Probably not their idea of good timing. And they tell Jesus, if only he had been there before, Lazarus would have never died. And so they too trusted God, just not in God's timing. And the problem is the same for you and for me. We have a hard time trusting in the God who knows our future with our future. Instead, we try to control our futures, even though we don't know what's coming. How are we to possibly know what's best for us now when we don't know what's coming later? The audacity that we have to think we know what's best when we have no clue what's around the corner, instead of trusting in the one who does. And so we try to control everything we possibly can to fake ourselves into thinking we are actually the ones in control of our lives. So here's what this looks like in our everyday life. Just like I am, we are often so bound up by our schedules Am I or my kids on schedule with school? Am I on schedule with my career, with retirement, with my love life or relationships, with the life experience I wanted to have? Maybe fill in the blank for the question you ask yourself. We have to stay on task and on schedule according to our own arbitrary timelines. Because if we don't stay on the schedule we have for our lives, then what? The real answer is that if we don't stay on our schedule, our timetable, then we feel like we are losing control. And we see that as a problem. When in reality, losing control is a problem, but surrendering control is a blessing. Losing control is a problem, but surrendering control is a blessing. So this is how our struggle for control and our schedules and our timing plays out in our relationship with God in our faith life and even in our prayer life. When we ask God for something, we want it now. When God asks us for something, we ask God to reschedule. Somebody needs to hear that again. When we ask God for something, we say we want it now. And when God asks us for something, we ask God if we can reschedule. When is the last time you asked God for something according to your schedule? Because the answer for me is like earlier today. Now, when is the last time you responded to God according to God's schedule? When we ask God for something and God says, wait, we wait because we trust that God's timing is perfect even when we don't see it. When God asks us for something, we do it when God asks because we trust God's knowledge of and care for our futures. The difference between us and God is that we reschedule God's requests for our own selfish convenience. But God never reschedules our requests. Instead, God is answering them when it's best for us, for them to be answered. That's the test of faith. Do you really believe that? Whether or not we believe it's evident in our actions, If we believe it, we surrender control of our schedules, our preferred timing, and give all of ourselves over to the one with the sovereign schedules and the perfect plan. If God has placed eternity on our hearts, as the text says, then rather than using that eternity placed in them to be frustrated that we will never have all the answers, what if we were obedient to the schedule of the one who does have all of those answers? God has placed eternity on our hearts, but God holds eternity in his hands. But even better than that, God hasn't just set eternity on our hearts. God has given eternity to our bodies through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can trust and even rejoice in God's timing because we already have the ultimate prize of new life in this world and eternal life in the world to come with eternity on our hearts and eternity in our bodies given to us by the grace of Jesus. There is no use in worry. There is no purpose in fear of what the different changes, the seasons of life may bring. And there's certainly no reason to ever say no to God's timing. God has already given us the greatest gift in history. And we can lean into God's timing knowing that it will only bring with it even more gifts to our lives because God often gives his biggest blessings at bad times. What would happen if instead of being so concerned with our temporary timing, we became more concerned with making an eternal difference with the time we have? We exist to operate on God's schedule. God does not exist to operate on ours. But it shouldn't be begrudgingly that we live and work on God's schedule, but we ought to do it with joy, knowing that it's God calling us to make a move it's going to be worth the temporary pain because of the long-term kingdom gain. If we want to lose the worry and anxiety around our plans and desires and schedules, we have to first admit that God's plan for us and the world are better than anything we could ever possibly dream up on our own. Then we can be a better conduit and not a competitor of God's timing. What might the world look like if we surrendered our schedules, our calendars, our plans, our hopes, and our dreams in exchange for God's? How might the world change if instead of filling our schedules with plans for ourselves, we became busy with kingdom work? Do you think your relational circles might scratch their heads in curiosity? If you were always dropping everything you had planned and changed direction to follow the initiative of God's eternal plans? How might it change the people in your life? If changes come into your life and seasons come and go, and instead of tirelessly and endlessly fighting and wrestling against them, you trusted and waited to see how God was going to make it work for good. We are so often weary of and worried by the chances and changes of this world when the rest of the eternal changelessness of God is available to us. How would your life change if you stopped waiting unexpectedly for what you wanted out of life and started waiting, better yet anticipating, expectedly for God's movement and God's timing for what God wants for you? You can do that. You can live that kind of life. If you follow Jesus, you have the spirit of Christ living on the inside of you, empowering you and guiding your steps. We just have to stop long enough to lay down our faulty plans in exchange for God's perfect ones. And that is my permanent prayer for Salem and the Connection. That no matter what changes the church or the world have to offer, Salem is a place that listens to God's initiative and always says yes. Knowing that after we say yes, we can wait on God to make miracles out of that yes. All of this I believe in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we have the joy of sharing in the sacred and mysterious meal that we call communion. And through it, God shares himself with us in a unique way that we can touch and even taste. And the best part about this is that just like Jesus, who originally created this practice, all are welcome to share in this blessing of God's grace. The only requirement is to accept the invitation that God offers you through this meal. So I wanna invite you to, from wherever you are, to find bread and juice or milk and cookies, whatever you can find, and bring it back. God will use whatever you got. Once you have it, come on back and let's pray. Merciful God, we confess we have not loved you with our whole heart. We've not always done your will. We ask for your forgiveness and ask that you free us for joyful obedience. And we praise you and thank you that your grace is there for us because Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And on the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And when they were finished eating, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, shared it with his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord God, we ask you now that you pour your Holy Spirit out on all of us and on these gifts of bread and juice, make them be for us your body and your blood that we may be a world redeemed by your blood. Make us one with you, one with each other, And one to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast all together at your heavenly banquet for all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Body of Christ, blood of Christ, broken and poured out for you. Amen.